Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Thank you for standing by. This is the conference operator. Welcome to the Equinox Gold second quarter 2021 financial results and corporate update conference call and webcast. As a reminder, all participants are in listen-only mode and the conference is being recorded. After the presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. To join the question queue, you may press star then one on your telephone keypad. Should you need assistance during the conference call, you may signal an operator by pressing star and zero. If you are participating through the webcast, you can submit a question in writing by using the text box in the lower left corner of the webcast frame. I would now like to turn the conference over to Relyn Bailey, Vice President Investor Relations for Equinox Gold. Please go ahead. Thank you, Operator, and thank you everybody for joining us this morning. We will, of course, be making a number of forward-looking statements today, so please do take the time to visit our website, CDAR and EDGAR, to download our continuous disclosure documents. I will now turn the conference call over to Christian Milau, CEO, for opening remarks. Thanks, Relyn, and uh, welcome everyone to the quarter two results call. Um, you know, we're pleased with the quarter, and, and as usual, there's been no shortage of, of news and activity. Um, the company's just been so active in the first half of the year, and uh, really pleased to get to this point where, you know, we said this was a year of big investment as we invested in our minds, we looked to get projects ready to build or continue building them to explore our assets and to keep investing money in to build the future of this company. And we have a long-term vision that's in place here. And things are basically uh, ended this quarter as expected. You know, it was a quarter very similar to quarter one. We produced about 125,000 ounces of gold. And, you know, we had a good safety record for the quarter. Um, pleased with that performance. COVID continues to sort of moderate. Um, obviously, the new Delta variant does uh, seem to peak its head a little bit in, in various locations, although it's had minimal impact on the operations and really pleased with how the operations have adapted to the new environment with COVID there. You know, we've probably hit that trough, which we thought we would do around mid-year this year, where we said the first couple of quarters will be a little tougher. We are coming out of the rainy season in northern Brazil as well. And the investment periods at Mesquite and, and Castle ramp up. And obviously we've had a challenge with Los Filos uh, over the last year as we've taken over ownership, but pleased to be coming through a period and, and getting towards uh, hopefully a, a period of stability going forward here at Los Filos. So we're turning to a very catalyst-rich period of the year in the second half of this year and excited to walk you through this, this presentation and indicate uh, where we see the, the future opportunities and that long-term vision. In terms of the actual results, like I said, just uh, we sold just under 225,000 ounces for the year. Our all-in sustaining costs were slightly down from previous quarters, and Pete will walk you through some detail on that in our slightly revised guidance. Um, we did take a $28 per ounce write down on the Los Filos inventory uh, with the shutdown there and the less lower production. Um, the cost of the actual ounces going up on the leach pad was fairly high for the quarter. so. That does impact the overall all-in sustaining costs, which we hope not to see uh, much in the future. When we turn over to the recent highlights on the next slide, number four, in terms of construction development and exploration, um, we continue along with Santa Luz. Doug will walk you through that, but pleased to see it on budget and on time. You know, we're getting to about half complete now. Um, you know, we're still on track for roughly building a mine per year over the last three years, and this year will be no different. So, uh, things tracking well there. We've advanced early works at Greenstone. We're getting ready for construction here in the near term. Uh, in the second half of this year, we'd like to be launching into full construction, but we have had a very productive summer. The team has done a great job of getting you know, camps and tree clearing and all that work done. So Doug will walk you through a little more detail and a couple of photos on that. Um, lots of drilling ongoing, and I'll leave that to Doug to talk about, but uh, really excited with the areas we have decided to invest in from an exploration perspective. And, you know, expect to see some results from that in the second half of the year as well. In terms of the operations, I mean, the one key point I, I will stop on for a second here, obviously the uh, Los Filos blockades that we had last quarter were frustrating for us, uh, I'm sure for, for shareholders as well. And, um, you know, 
we've come through that period. We have got those resolved and obviously a lot shorter period than the original one uh, last year. Um, the union had go back to work and I think there was a real frustration level with not being paid and uh, for a period that they had walked out on in a, in a legal blockade there and uh, they've gone back to work. There was pressure from communities and, and certain union leaders to get back to work and start earning a wage again. So pleased to see them back on the job and you know, really um, kudos to Greg and the team. They've got things ramped back up fairly quickly there and, and we'll give you a bit more color on the operation in, in a few slides here. And also the, the community blockade from Xochipala, a smaller community, quite a distance away from the mine, um, another unfortunate legal blockade. Uh, that situation has been resolved. We've, we do appreciate the support from the communities and from, uh, from the government and the district attorney to actually step in and really um, put some pressure on to get them back to work as well. And um, again, we've gotten back into the Guadalupe open pit, so pleased to see us operating at full capacity across all the the pits and undergrounds on the site there at Los Filos. And in terms of other corporate actions for the quarter, um, we completed the acquisition of Premier Gold Mines. Um, it feels like a long time ago, but it actually completed during the second quarter. Uh, I think there's some exciting stuff going to be coming from that, and, and we'll walk you through, obviously, the Greenstone project. Mercedes has been integrated. Um, Ewan's doing a great job on I-80, and we're really excited about that as a, an investor, where we own 30% of it, and we obviously took up our pro rata interest in their financing during the quarter, so um, things are going well there. We've also acquired an additional 10% of Greenstone, as I think most are aware, but uh, we love 50% of the project, we love 60% even more, and um, we've been working well with Orion and the, the project team to get that ready for launch into construction here in the second half. We sold Pilar, um, it's a, a gain on the financial statements, but we sold it for almost $50 million when you add in the royalty and the equity interest that we have. And we published our first ESG report, and again, that's a really important area for us to now start uh, communicating and putting out a lot more public disclosure. So I think you should expect to see a lot more information on a quarterly basis, but also we'll be looking very closely at things like our emissions, um, you know, managing our, our key areas where we think we can make a big difference going forward, which, you know, areas that have diesel emissions and Obviously, our energy sources in uh, various countries will be looked at for more efficient ways of running the business. And I'll pass it over to Peter to walk you through the financial highlights on the next couple of slides. Thanks, Christian. During the quarter, we sold 125,000 ounces at a little over $1,800 an ounce for revenues of $226 million. On a cost per ounce basis, our costs actually came down from Q one, about $50 an ounce for cash cost to a little over $1,080 an ounce, and about $100 an ounce to about $1,382 uh, on an all-in sustaining cost per ounce basis. That resulted in mine operating earnings of $46 million, which is an increase of about $4 million over the prior quarter. As Christian mentioned, we had a very busy quarter on the corporate activity front. It resulted in a lot of net income uh, for $326 million, or earnings per share of about $1.10. Included in there are a number of non-cash gains, including uh, $50 million on the sale of those uh, Solaris shares that Christian mentioned. In addition, uh, with the sale of the shares, we have a change in classification of how we account for that investment from effectively a cost basis to a fair value basis. That resulted in an increase or a gain of $186 million. We had a gain on the sale of Pilar of $45 million, and then we have the other items that uh, typically are, are non-cash items, which were gains for the quarter, like for, uh, unrealized gains on foreign exchange hedges, etc., for about $43 million. When you adjust our net income for those items, uh, we arrive at $3.1 million on an adjusted basis and, and a cent a share uh, earnings uh, also on an adjusted basis. Our cash flow before changes in, in non-cash working capital was $32 million, and that equates to about $0.11 cents a share on a basic basis. All of, with all of the activity in, in, in our operations, with respect to our balance sheet, it remains strong. Uh, our June 30th cash and equivalents was $334 million, uh, and our net liquidity was $530 million when you add in the $200 million of undrawn revolver that we have, uh, and our net debt is $216 million. This leaves us in a great position to fund our, our growth profile as we move forward. With respect to our investments, we did put some money into IAD Gold to maintain our 30% interest. Uh, the current, mar current market value uh, of that is a little over is over 100 million, and we sold 10 million shares of Solaris, 
and warrants, and when you look at the fair value of that investment, it's over 300 million. So included, so the value of our investments is now over 400 million, and that is not included in the net liquidity figure that I mentioned previously of 530 million. We updated our guidance for 2021. Uh, the range to, is now five, with, on a production basis, the range is now 560,000 to 625,000 ounces. Uh, overall, our mines are actually performing uh, on or better than planned, generally speaking, with the obvious exception of Los Filos. We decreased guidance there by about 50,000 ounces. Uh, we, that's offset by increases at Arizona of 10,000 ounces. Uh, we're expecting access to higher grade ore there in the second half of the year. And uh, 5,000 at RDM because they had a great first half of the year. Castle Mountain, we've decreased production guidance by about 10,000 ounces, and that's due to the weaker start in the first half of the year. At Los Filos, the reduction is, is obviously uh, in part due to, the, or primarily due to the blockades, which suspended operations for parts of June and July, and also had an impact on the Burma Hall underground development uh, to push it out further, which uh, delays our access to higher grade ore. On a cost basis, our range is now $1,000.25 to $1,075 an ounce, uh, and that's a result of two primary uh, uh, influences. The first is, of course, the reduction in, in overall uh, uh, production for the year, and the second is we are seeing cost escalation on consumables and energy, primarily in the U.S. and Brazil. Uh, overall, looking at the figures, Arizona, uh, or pardon, so those, those cost increases, pardon me, carry through on all on sustaining basis. Uh, our sustaining capital itself, as you can see on the slide, is held steady on a group basis. Uh, and then on a mine basis, uh, overall, on a per, with respect to our all and sustained cost per ounce, we're down about $50 an ounce at Arizona. Uh, that's a result of a decrease in some sustaining capital. And, and you see the primary increases, of course, at Los Filos due to the reduction in, in overall ounces. And, and at Castle Mountain, uh, where we're doing a pad expansion and there's been an increase in, in liner costs. On a non-sustaining basis, uh, you can see that uh, costs have come down. That's primarily at Santa Luz, where we have a reduction in 19 million ounces, or pardon me, 19 million dollars for the year. Uh, and that's primarily a result of timing of spend. The project is on budget, it's on schedule. We're just not incurring the payables as quickly as expected. So that 19 million would push out of 20, out of this year into 2022. And with that, I'll turn it over to Doug Reddy, our Chief Operating Officer, for an operations update. Thanks, Pete. Uh, I just I would like to say that there are two main themes uh, for the operations uh, on how um, what's happened in the first half and how it affects uh, the second half of the year and going into 2022. The first one is waste stripping, where we've had large programs at Mesquite and RDM, um, as well as uh, waste stripping happening at Orozona and Los Filos. So all of those uh, investments in the waste stripping makes for a stronger second half of the year and into next year. And the second aspect is a big effort on our by our exploration team. 51,000 meters of, of having been, has been drilled so far this year. Uh, and that's an, an investment in the long term at each one of our mines, both within the mines and near, near to the mines. So uh, I look at those as how they affect the future for uh, each one of our operations. Uh, if we look at Mesquite, we completed the brownie stripping campaign and we're looking at a stronger H2 as we mine oxide ore in that pit. The exploration has been focused on mine life extension and that's, that's the same thing we've done every year with Mesquite where there's opportunity to be able to extend the life. Uh, it, is, it is a very giving uh, overall system there. Um, Q2 production, 24,185 ounces and an all in sustaining cost of $1,520 per ounce. At Castle Mountain, we've continued to our team has continued to work on optimizing the uh, leach pad and, and plant. We have had issues with percolation on the leach pad, but we've managed to see the daily ounces being doubled. And Q2 versus Q1 has been in a doubling of the ounces being produced at Castle Mountain. Uh, Q2 production was 6,128 ounces at an all-in sustaining cost of $1,026 per ounce. Uh, Los Filos, the operations restarted well after the interruptions that we've had. Um, H2 should be a, a strong uh, second half of the year. 
We are in uh, mining at the Guadalupe Open Pit, and as Pete mentioned, we have re been doing the underground development in Burma Hall uh, Underground. We should see ore coming through late in the year from Burma Hall. Uh, our Q2 production was 27,079 ounces, and all in sustaining cost of uh, $2,016 per ounce. Uh, we also look forward to the completion of the updated uh, CIL plant study, which will come in the second half of this year. Mercedes Mine is a, uh, it's a steady producer. Uh, we are campaign milling, so that means that we do have an opportunity to increase throughput and production, and there's good expiration upside. Uh, there's a program happening at, uh, in several areas at Mercedes with, with good results coming, coming in. Uh, the second quarter production attributable to Equinox was 10,708 ounces at an all-in sustaining cost of $1,226 an ounce. And H2 should be a consistent uh, level of production from Mercedes for the company. So looking at Brazil, uh, Arizona had a heavy rainfall in the quarter, but the mining went really well. That was a, a, a contrast to a year prior. Um, the, the team did a very good job of being able to uh, uh, to be able to mine during the rainy season, and the processing plant was able to also utilize a, a portion of the stockpile that had been uh, built up during the previous uh, dry season. So we're looking at a strong uh, second half of the year as we uh, come fully into the dry season in that portion of Brazil. Uh, and production in the second quarter was 26,830 ounces at an all-in-sustaining cost of $1,083 per ounce. Uh, we're very much excited for the delivery of the pre-feasibility study that's been looking at the underground potential at Arizona. A uh, large drill program was done in 2020, uh, wrapped up at the start of 2021, and that study is coming to completion in, in the uh, second half of this year. So we'll see how that impacts Arizona and uh, uh, looks at, at the overall uh, production that will come from that mine in, in, in the long run. Uh, for Fazenda, it's had steady underground production in the second quarter, albeit um, mining from a few lower-grade areas. Uh, we had scheduled to open up a new open pit, which is now uh, opened up. Uh, it just didn't happen as early as we expected. So that will be contributing in the second half of the year. Uh, Q2 production was 13,130 ounces at an all-in sustaining cost of $1,263 per ounce. And we're doing a consistent long-term exploration program both within mine and around the mine, um, including the area between Fazenda and Santa Luz, which uh, I think is going to be uh, very exciting in the, in the coming months uh, for uh, the company and results of numerous targets that we have in, in the 70-kilometer-long greenstone belt that's between Fazenda and Santa Luz. At RDM, uh, we had we now have a very full water dam. I would say it's the uh, the first time I, I can look at that water dam and say that we have ample water for the rest of 2021 and all of 2022. And in spite of an exceptional rainy season, we mined 19% more ore than we did in Q1, and we're doing a major pit expansion through this year that provides access to the uh, uh, lower portion of the ore body. Uh, Q2 production was 14,089 ounces at an all-sustaining cost of $1,073 per ounce, and we're looking at steady production through H2 and a strong uh, uh, 2022 based on the uh, expansion work that's been happening in the pit. So looking at our uh, growth and development projects, I'll say it's, it's really good to be with a company that has such a great pipeline of growth projects. Um, looking at Santa Luz, which is in construction now, um, as Christian mentioned, uh, we are 50% complete on the construction and our first gold bore is on track for Q1 of 2022. I'll elaborate a bit more on Santa Luz on the next slide, but let's uh, move down to the other uh, growth projects. Los Feliz expansion. Uh, it's, We've, we've been developing additional open pit and underground mines. Uh, Guadalupe is now providing ores, so that one is already part of, of, of the uh, expansion at, at, at Los Filos. Bermahal Underground Development has resumed. We'll see ore coming from that late in the year. And we've been finalizing the study for the new 8,000 ton per day CIL plant, which will process the higher grade ore at the site. 
Um, that study will also see the potential to increase uh, reserves and, and possibly extend the overall mine life. But critical for us is, is to work out a longer term, longer term stability with the communities so that we can we can continue to to work on expansions at uh, Los Velos. For the Greenstone project, a very exciting uh, project overall, uh, five and a half million ounces of reserves and a 14-year mine life. The early works are already underway and we're looking at full-scale construction being targeted for Q4 of 2021, so uh, keep, keep an eye out for, for that uh, later on this year as we work through all the preparatory work that's been happening on that project. And then Castle Mountain expansion, the average uh, uh, gold production that was in the Phase two expansion is 218,000 ounces per year. Uh, we expect to start the Phase two permitting in the second half of this year. So if we move on to the next page on Santa Luz, uh, we are on budget, on schedule. The overall uh, budget is $103 million for the initial capex. Uh, this project will bring in 110,000 ounces a year for the first five years and an all-in-sustaining cost overall of $877 per ounce on, all in, uh, on average. And in the area, as I mentioned already, there's excellent, excellent exploration potential both near surface and also at depth. Uh, we, in the photos on the left, you can see the advance that we have on the uh, leach tanks. They're going up well. Uh, the ball mill, which is in place, and uh, there are lots of photos and videos on the website that I encourage you to have a look at, as well as a time lapse that shows the, the progress of the site. And I want to congratulate the team. Uh, as of uh, June, they achieved one-year LTI-free and uh, 1.2 million, uh, million hours LTI-free at site. So they had a, uh, a little uh, recognition of that on, at site, and I just want to recognize that they've been going well, and they're going to keep up that, uh, that focus on safe uh, construction. So turning the page to Greenstone, uh, it is one of the most attractive development assets in Canada. Previous underground mines produced over 4 million ounces in this, in this area from the Greenstone belt. Uh, it's got a good, well, excellent reserve of 5.5 million ounces and the opportunity to produce 358,000 ounces per year over the initial 14-year mine life. The project benefits from excellent infrastructure being right on the Trans-Canada Highway. Uh, community and, and Indigenous agreements are in place and it's fully permitted for construction. Uh, the early works are well advanced. The team is in place. We have a very experienced team that's been with the project for, I would say, the better part of 10 years, uh, advancing it and doing all the engineering and bringing the project up to this point. Uh, and tree clearing, the first phase is already complete. The temporary camp is already, uh, uh, the first phase of it is already complete. And a temporary water effluent. Uh, treatment plant is complete. So very, uh, very good focus by the team moving that project forward. And I'm going to hand it back to Christian. All right, thanks, Doug. And you know, I'm going to step back uh, and look at the bigger picture on the next few slides here. And you know, I do want to emphasize, you know, our long-term focus here has been on growth. It's been on building a large, diversified you know, top-tier gold mining company and during the downturn in the gold cycle, although obviously gold is held nicely at $1,800 and our producing assets are generating good cash flow. But what we see here on slide number 13 is uh, the diversified portfolio is starting to, you know, come into place. And we've been really focused on all four of these countries and regions. You know, we've been building one mine per year. We're working on expanding virtually every one of these countries in terms of production levels and reserve bases. Um, the asset values in production will be split about a quarter, a quarter, a quarter between all four of these countries when, uh, you know, we finished our job of expanding and developing them. Um, and really what you do see is potential production growth from our expansion projects and exploration in all four of the countries. So. You know, our goal here is not to be reliant on any one key asset or whatever. It's to have a nice diversified portfolio that can weather the ups and downs of the sector and cycle. So, you know, well on track to creating that through this portfolio. And when you look at the next slide, you know, this is something we have talked about in the past, but, you know, don't want to lose sight of here. We're moving towards a million ounces of production there in that second column. You know, we'll be in that top tier of the mid-tiers and moving towards that senior level. 
our growth profile in the third column is at the top of the charts, you know, um, the highest amongst peers of almost over 75% over the next three years as we develop and expand our assets. And our reserve base is already 16 million ounces. And I think as Doug alluded to, we're pretty excited for what's coming from Arizona, Mesquite, uh, the Bahia Exploration Programs. And we really do see opportunities, including Mexico as well, to expand the reserve and resource base and, and not just deplete our, our ounces, but actually add to them over time. The, the portfolio we have is very prospective, and I think we haven't given it enough attention publicly, and we'll start to do that as we uh, finish this key investment year. And when you look at the far left, I mean, that's the part here which I think is exciting, but also a little bit disappointing. Obviously, with the Los Filos blockade, we've had a uh, fall in the share price, but uh, when I look at the value potential here on the price to net asset value basis, and we're really at the bottom end of that scale, and, and we do need to rebuild the confidence and the stability in the Los Filos situation, which we're obviously determined to do, but the re-rating will come. This investment year, we're halfway through it, or you know, almost two-thirds of the way through it, and uh, we'll be seeing progressively better quarters here. You know, Q3 will be slightly better than Q2 and Q1, and Q4 should be a, a really good quarter as we move into the new year. And we turn it over onto slide number 15, you know, how are we going to be able to deliver that and what kind of support do we have? And as Pete alluded to, the balance sheet's rock solid right now. $330 million of cash, it holds very firm, and we do our planning at, at more conservative gold prices, but even assets like RDM, where we're investing a lot of the cash flow back into the business, is actually cash flow positive despite plans for it to be needing cash support from the corporate. So really pleasing to see that. We've still got our $200 million availability in the revolver and a very strong lending and banking group that's supporting us. And really exciting for me to see is the $420 million of investments, as Pete alluded to. Um, you know, Solaris has just gone fantastically well. Richard and Dan have done a wonderful job there. And we always believed that asset would be worth a heck of a lot and would be worth as much as our debt one day. And uh, I think it actually almost is right now. So well done to the team there and great to see. And, and I-80 is at an earlier stage, but uh, I know Ewan has ambitious plans and we've given him great support to start. And I think uh, he'll be creating some wonderful value there as well. So we're coming through that trough in terms of, call it, uh, production, cash flow, et cetera, for this year. Q3 will get progressively stronger and Q4 should be a great quarter. Um, we have a strong balance sheet. We'll be able to fund all our growth projects, including Greenstone. Um, so I think we'll see exciting uh, announcements to come in the second half of the year with some of our catalysts. And when I turn to the last slide, just to bring it all together, um, you know, again, lots on the go. We're most of the way through this investment year. We're working towards around an 800,000-ounce type year next year, which will be on the back of getting Santa Luz up and running, uh, getting stability back into Los Filos, and starting to hit our stride at mines like RDM and, and Mesquite. Um, so really exciting going into next year. You know, and we have reduced our guidance slightly in this quarter, but it's still straddling, straddling that original level. You know, uh, we had 600 to, 60, 600 to 665,000 ounces. We're still potential to do up to 625,000 ounces, and that's despite a big disruption we had at uh, Los Filos this year and, you know, a tough start with lots of investment going into our mines. So um, kudos to the team for finding a way to... Uh, uh, keep that production level at a very respectable level. And I think keep your eye out for the Arizona underground study and exploration results coming from Arizona and Bahia, also Mesquite. Um, it's the Energizer Bunny, as we always say. It just keeps on giving and giving here. Had a two-and-a-half-year mine life. It still has that kind of mine life, and I think we'll be increasing that in due course as well. So um, really pleased with the results there and what the team has done at Mesquite. And we'll be getting out our first consolidated uh, reserve and resource update as well in the second half of this year. So that'll allow people to have a good consolidated look at the business. And we'll continue to support our investment companies. And, and as we always sort of say, we're, we'll look at opportunistic M&A, but right now we're inwardly focused. We've got lots of projects to deliver, lots on the go. A team coming into place here is, is very strong, and uh, I think we're well prepared to deliver on these projects this year. So um, keep an eye out for all those catalysts in the second half of this year. I think I'll end the formal part there, and uh, thanks for your, for your time, and open up to questions. Perfect. Thanks, Christian. Operator, can you please remind people how to ask a question? Certainly. Once again, to join the question queue, you may press star, then one, on your telephone keypad. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you're using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. And to withdraw your question, please press star, then two. 
If you are participating through the webcast, you can submit a question in writing by using the text box in the lower left corner of the webcast frame. We will pause for a moment as callers join the queue. Thank you. While we wait for our phone callers to queue up, I'll take a couple of questions from online. Let's just get the inevitable out of the way. What steps have you taken at Los Feliz to manage the risk of further uh, disruptions? Yeah, I mean, that's you know something that we're obviously laser focused on and, and stability there is the, the key goal and, and partnerships a word we use a lot. So um, it's been a tough go since we've taken over. We've had obviously the COVID overhang and, and not a significant ability to visit the site and to build relationships. We did change the senior level management during this process and um, about five, six months ago. And I think they've done a great job of actually getting engaged and involved with the communities and really establishing uh, that we are all in this together and, and having that mine operating is to the benefit of all stakeholders there locally. And that's something we've learned even more so in this most recent uh, blockade situation is that all parties want this mine operating, government, unions, employees, us, um, all stakeholders that are getting some kind of benefit from it. And I think what's happened here is we have taken a, a fairly principled approach to, to resolving this. Uh, we're always open to working with our communities, employees, and other stakeholders on finding resolutions and, and sharing in the, the, the benefits that this mine will uh, provide for many years to come. But also, we do have to manage it you know, ethically and responsibly and make sure that things are fair and fairly distributed. And a number of the requests that have come from whichever of these parties that, that's had a uh, challenge to the mine is... Um, you know, looking for almost sole access to contracts, jobs, the economics. And we do have at least three communities to manage. We have a union, we have employees, and we have governments as well. And we are fine to obviously create as much local sharing of the pie as possible, but we do need to make sure it's fair as possible. And um, when we disadvantage one community, it obviously creates a problem over there. So we want to make sure that all communities understand that they affect each other as well. And so I think part of it's been a communication uh, program. Part of it's been also on certain areas. We have to take a bit of a principled view that um, we have contractual relationships and things that we must deliver on and we owe to other communities, unions, and employees that we, we can't break. And we do honor those. So um, I think situations also where, you know, the mine's not producing and people are not getting the economic benefits through salaries and contracts and that, which, you know, we can't pay those indefinitely without operating. Um, I think has focused the mind of many people as well that you know everyone needs this mine operating. Um, so it's been a painful process and, and myself as a big big enough shareholder has felt that pain as well. Um, but I think with that sort of principled approach, I think we are establishing that there are certain boundaries and areas that we, we can operate within and we can negotiate within, but we can't also accept certain things that disadvantage others and including the mine to a certain level as well. And um, I think we're setting a new baseline and, and way forward with the communities. And there is no guarantee. I don't want to mislead anyone in that sense, but I do think we're slowly establishing uh, those parameters. And we do have big plans to work with communities to build, you know, joint programs and partnerships. It'll take time to rebuild that trust. Um, but we have some very good people in there. And, and the spirit of the mine and the employees, which are members of the community mostly, is actually quite good despite all this disruption. Um, so I'm quite optimistic, but uh, it does need some time to heal those wounds. Thank you. Well, next, take some questions from the phone, please. The first question from the phone is from Dalton Barreto from Canaccord. Please go ahead. Thanks. Uh, good morning, Christian and team. Um, I kind of want to follow up on that same line of questioning there. Um, so you touched on this a little bit in your prepared comments, but Christian, can you give us a little bit more color in terms of how the blockades actually did get resolved and you know what if anything you had to give up yeah i mean i'll, I'll give you a bit more color obviously you know, i don't go to all the intricate details but uh you know the union situation there's you know requests for bonuses that are well beyond what's owed and due in contracts and formulas and that and you know, in a situation also where the mine is having a very challenging time, we, we can't be, you know, entertaining that kind of demands, which ultimately are being demanded and, and are not owed at all. And so, uh, unfortunately, I guess it resulted in this block, illegal blockade. And at the end of the day, what I think uh, most of the employees realize is that actually lost wages add up to the more than that very quickly, and, and jobs are vitally important in the region and, and steady income. And 
you know, at the end of the day, I think there was a loss in uh, support for for the action, and uh, you know, the groups voluntarily agreed to come back to work. We didn't have to really give up much. I mean, other than obviously the downtime and the impact on our, our financials and the morale, etc. But uh, you know, they came back to work in the end. So. I wouldn't say we've given up a lot in that sense. I hope we've earned some respect and trust in that process. Um, in terms of the community, again, I think it's a brand new community. They only own about 2% of the land. Most of it's, I think, in Guadalupe, and they have some exploration land. So very different than the other communities. There's very few people that actually work at the mine. So I think part of the process is, I'm going to call it education. Maybe that's not the fair word, but also getting familiar with mining, the economics of mining. We can't process the ore in their community from the pit that they happen to own part of the land from. We have a processing site on site. It has to be managed through regulations and locations that are obviously suitable. Um, so part of it's just education. Part of it is that we can't give all jobs and all economics for, call it that pit, to one community because we do need to have flexibility to move our workforce and our contractors around the organization to be you know, as successful as possible. So. Um, all stakeholders make a, a good return on this. And, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, I think they understood that there is uh, a need to have somewhat sharing in this. But also, I think there's been pressures from, call it the union. The district attorney was heavily involved, who's a state uh, representative, um, all the way up to the federal government, although they really relied on the state to be involved. And the district attorney, um, you know, tried to help with, I call it, the education process, but also, you know, we filing criminal charges against groups that are illegally blockading, and I think that has some impact as well, that we're serious about this, and um, we're not just going to stand by, you know, and accept uh, illegal blockades on our land that we actually own. So um, I think through a number of measures there, um, it resulted in obviously less support for a small group of leadership that was leading this blockade. I would say it was, wasn't a wide community support for this. I mean, honestly, I would suspect that not many people have much involvement with the mine in that community. It's an hour and a half away and there's only 30 employees, so um, much less influence in that community. Um, you know, and over time, we're just going to have to work with them on, on agreements and as we rent land for exploration, etc., to continue to build that trust with them. Okay, and then I know you said there's no guarantees in, in your last response there. Um, yep. Is there anything you can put in place prior to sinking some real capital into this thing to build the plant and so on? Well, I think, you know, something that we do want to do is, you know, get out and talk to them, uh, get the messaging in front of them that we want to build some stability and partnership here as we make decisions to invest in this mine. Obviously, we're investing in Guadalupe and Burma Hall as we speak, and and they're benefiting very significantly, and I think those were the two key areas that um, that these groups focused on, is there's new jobs, new contracts, new investment there, and they want as much of that pie as possible. Um, the CIL will be the next one, obviously, and uh, you know we want to proceed cautiously with that and build stability before we start investing in that, but uh, you know we'll, we'll take a bit of time, but we're going to have to communicate. I'll go see them with uh, some of our senior leadership here and at site, and, um, you know, they need to understand that their consequences ultimately to not having stability. Um, we have three other extremely attractive countries and sites where we're investing, you know, call it a billion dollars of capital, and we'll continue to allocate the capital there. And as this one becomes more stable, we'll re reallocate capital back here. Okay, great. And then just one last one for me, and then I'll jump back in queue. So the blockade was in place for about 34 days. A 50,000 ounce guidance cut seems disproportionate, even with the Burma Hall underground being pushed out. Can you, can you wrap some context around that? Like, I mean, how, how much are you actually expecting from the Burma Hall underground? And is there anything else at play here? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll let Doug uh, piggyback on any of my comments here, but, uh, you know, don't forget that this is a big leech pad. You don't just turn it on and off. So there's, unfortunately, it's time to ramp it up and, you know, you have to get the solution flow going again. And this time they, they absolutely ramped it right down when they had that union blockade. So we had to turn the taps off in a certain sense. And so it'll take a little time to ramp it up. But what it does also with all this development is it pushes some of those good months that were meant to add quite a few ounces into the new year. Um, and that's probably one of the biggest disproportionate impacts as well is that those ounces just get pushed out and really Burma Hall, I don't think contributes many tons of ore this year now, unfortunately. No, it's mostly development with small contribution at the very end of the year. So it's really pushed out the production from Guadalupe, 
pushed out uh, or, or contribution from Burma Hall Underground and the impact of essentially uh, bringing down the ounces on, on a leach pad and then having to bring it all back up again. It all pushes out uh, what would have been a very good uh, Q4. Still going to be a better uh, second half of the year, but uh, the, the very good finish to the year will actually be spilling over into, uh, into 2022. You know, and we, we do take it really seriously. We have almost 2,000 people working down there. COVID testing and getting people back to work it doesn't, again, just happen, you know, overnight. So we do have to work through that process and um, ease people back in and sort of re retrain or re redo some of the safety protocols just to get them up and ready to go. And so it's a little bit of a, uh, a big ship to turn. Got it. Thanks for the call, guys. I'll jump back in queue. Thanks, Colton. The next question is from Carrie Smith from Haywood Securities. Please go ahead. Thanks, operator. So, Christian, maybe just to follow up on, on Los Fields again, if you've got 2,000 employees and you've already got 30 employees that are from Ochipawa, I mean, if they want more, it seems like they're already kind of at their pro rata share, of, if you will, you know, it's roughly 2% or maybe it's even, you know, right around 2%, I guess. So, how do you... How do you deliver more jobs for that community when it seems like the pro rata formula maybe wouldn't suggest that they deserve more jobs because that has to come at the expense of the other communities? Yeah, I mean, it is it is always tricky with all the communities on that kind of front. And, and certainly with Xochipala, one thing that we are doing is we've committed to a training program so we can uh, end up with some skilled labor in the region from, from that community. Um, I think we're making a little bit more of a call it an overt commitment to hiring some of those people that come out trained. Um, you know, so it's it's not perfect. But the other side of it, too, is I think, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but sort of looking at Scott and Doug around the table is some of the future exploration upside in that is in their lands. They have a long, call it, strip of land coming to their community right into ultimately the Guadalupe pit. And some of the future exploration and excitement certainly is in that exploration area. So what we see and we're articulating to them, and I think we need to continue to do this, is we have a small piece of actually exploitation land that they get paid for, some jobs, et cetera. But that exploration, probably a lot of that future is on their land. So um, there's more to come, but we can't jump ahead of the queue. And we, they do need to allow us the time to explore. We pay less, obviously, per hectare for exploration land because we're not exploiting it. And um, it will come. And so I think a little bit of patience is required there and, and education on the timing and process. So um, that's how I see it. Okay. And and uh, just on the three communities, uh, just so I'm clear, do you, do you have agreements in place with all three communities today and Ochapala just chose to basically ignore that agreement? Is that, is that kind of what happened? Yeah, we do have agreements in place with all three communities. And, um, you know, with Xochipala, we do have an exploration and an exploitation agreement. I, I'll be really straight up here is that there's also a misunderstanding, I think, by them on really exploration versus exploitation. They see it as all the same thing. You know, if you're out there drilling on land, it's almost like you're mining it. And, um, right. Doug, if you had any comments, please, please add them. But that's, I think, part of the process is kind of explaining that once we're mining for gold and making profit from it, we obviously pay a higher rate for, call it, access to that land. But when we're exploring it, you know, it's all of our risk capital going into the ground. We had agreements with Carrizaleo and, and Mescala for, uh, since, since the start of the mine, uh, I guess in 2008. So, um, and the agreements for those two communities were renewed in, in 2019. So Chupala, this was the first time that an agreement had been established with, with Xochipala. So it's it's uh, a new relationship, um, but as Christian mentioned, very important uh, property to the, on the south end of, of our mining license, mining license uh, very prospective, and it impacts the, uh, uh, the Guadalupe Open Pit, very small piece of ground, but it's important to us. And so it's it's been uh, essentially uh, working through the buildup of a, of a newer relationship with Xochipala versus the other communities that we've been uh, working with for uh, over a decade. 
Right. And, and so, Doug, the, the agreements you had with the CARES Alilu and Mescalo, they those were renewed in 2019. And were they six-year or five-year terms? I forget. Uh, five for, for uh, CARES Alilu, and I think it's 10 for Mescalo. Okay. And then, and then I get, and the, the new agreement that you struck with Ocho Power, what would the term be on that agreement? Is it five or is it 10? No, oh, the the new one there is 20 years. Uh, exploration, I think, is a shorter term one that gets, I'm not sure it's annually, but every few years it gets renewed, but the exploitation is a 20 year. Okay, gotcha. Okay. And and just a question on, maybe Doug can answer this, on Castle Mountain. Why, what is the issue with the percolation? It's an oxide oil body. I've been there. There's really no clays at all. I'm just wondering why you're having these percolation issues. And then secondarily to that, the mining cost per ton seems really high at Castle Mountain. I'm not sure why that's the case. Mesquite seems like probably a good comp, and it's significantly less on a per ton basis. I just wonder if you could comment on those two issues. Sure. Uh, it's it's fine. It's not clays. Um, this is uh, JSLA material. Is um, Previously mined material that was put into the uh, JSLA open pit. So uh, there's a fair component of fines in, in that material. And uh, when we uh, initially were irrigating the leach pads uh, with spray emitters, essentially uh, there was a penetration uh, problem. So uh, several things have been tried. The, I would say the most uh, productive uh, approach has been burying emitters, which is, of course, it takes a while to step through and try each change. If you do model once, you don't know which which thing is working, so it's been a process of working it through. And the burying of the emitters has been the most successful one, which has allowed us to ramp up our gallons per minute that are, are being applied to the pad uh, and essentially doubling the production between Q1 and Q2. We continue to work on other efforts, but we know that um, the, the percolation is the, is the key item and driven by high percentage of fines. Uh, mining costs, uh, it's uh, essentially... Uh, it is a contractor, number yeah. one, versus owner mining. Yeah, and, and, and trucking uh, over to the leach pad. So uh, it's, it's been run of mine, and uh, I'd have to look into if there's anything else abnormal about it. but. Um, yeah, I think it, it's also it's Peter here. It, it's in part just a, a lower denominator carry. Um, while the production is, has come up significantly from Q1, it's not quite at the level we would expect it. Uh, and, and so, and, and obviously, it's not a large production volume. So, uh, with that reduced denominator, it just amplifies on the per unit basis. That so lower the, the denominator and, you're referring to is lower tons, not lower ounces, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so, Doug, is the, <clears throat> the burying the emitters? Is, do you think that's the the best solution now? Like you, you've kind of got that fine tuned, and that's that's the the solution you're going to run with. And now you can focus on other areas to try and get the production up. Is that is that kind of the the goal here? No, we're not we're not resting on that. We've got more to do, and uh, it's 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 been a very I'll applaud the efforts that have been done by the team at site uh, for the series of, of actions that they've taken and to methodically work their way through. Um, and they have a couple more things that they, they, they want to try, which we're just going through at the moment. So um, I would say that uh, it's, it's a, an important uh, process of being able to step through and, and get higher percolation and, and obviously better recovery overall. And that's that's what we've been doing. It takes a while okay. on the leach pad. Yeah, of course. Okay. Okay, and maybe just one last question for Peter. The GNA quarterly run rate, I mean, it fluctuates a lot quarter over quarter. What would be a good run rate going forward on a quarterly basis or an annual basis, whatever you prefer for GNA? Oh, for GNA, sorry. I, I uh, didn't hear the initial part of your question. Um, yeah, it was higher in the quarter for a couple different reasons. Uh, one, we obviously had a lot of transaction costs uh, that flowed through with respect to professional fees uh, due to the corporate activity, the sale of Pilar, uh, the premier acquisition. Uh, and then also during the quarter, there was a cleanup item related to share-based comp, and that was about $4 million, and that was an integration of, of the Leah Gold and, and Equinox plans that carried over, unfortunately, until now and was resolved in this quarter. We expect about seven and a half million a quarter uh, overall as a run rate. 
we, we tend to think of it in, dollar, in, in dollars per ounce. Uh, and so on an annualized basis, normalized basis, we would expect to be in around $40 an ounce. Okay. Okay, that's helpful. Thanks very much. Thanks, Carrie. I'll take a couple questions from online. We have a whole bunch of questions about all-in sustaining costs that I'm going to try to combine into one. So you've raised your all-in sustaining cost guidance, but you say there'll be lower costs in the second half of this year. So just trying to figure out what your all-in sustaining costs are going to look like sort of into 22, and then even farther down the road when you hit that million ounce goal, what would your all-in sustaining cost target be at that point? I mean, I'll, I'll take the high-level question. Pete, please jump in if there's anything more granular or detailed that you can add. Um, from a overall long-term perspective, I think what you're going to see is as we move into and finish these investments in some of the mines, you'll see the costs naturally come down. We're putting big investment into areas like Mesquite and RDM, stripping and that. And a lot of that or part of that goes into, call it sustaining capital, so it affects all-in costs. But also uh, when you're opening up some of these new areas, you end up with higher grades, more production, bigger denominator. So you'll naturally see some of those costs come down. Then you have the additional impact and benefit of Santa Luz, Greenstone, um, certain expansions projects that will be naturally lower cost. Those are the projects that are the prize for us where we want to get Greenstone up and running, which has got a very low all-in sustaining cost. As we get Santa Luz up and running, it has a lower all-in sustaining cost. So you have the benefit of the operating mines we're investing in coming down over time, the bigger kind of longer life, uh, high-quality projects that we're developing and putting into place will actually um, have a lower cost, so the average will come down. In terms of this year, um, just H1 versus H2, I think the increase in the all standing cost, there's probably two key factors that jump out to me are, you know, Los Filos had a big outsized impact for H1, it's $2,000 an ounce effectively. So that brings up our all-in cost across the whole, uh, whole year, because you're going to have a much lower cost for the second half, but you had a much higher cost in the first half, so your average is higher. Um, just the simple math of it. And we have uh, one or two sites uh, in addition to that that have a similar metric where each one was a higher cost. So on average, it's bring up this uh, average for the year. But also there's a bit of inflation in there, and I don't want to overplay that, but you know, give or take 5% in certain areas, fuel, reagents, et cetera, that's having a little bit of an impact as well. Um, we're still getting benefits of F FX or foreign exchange offsetting that, and certainly in Brazil. Good. Okay. Um, given the undervaluation of your stock, are you considering share buyback? It's a, a really good question. I mean, it's uh, something we'd love to do, but uh, one thing we are focused on right now is we have a lot of capital in front of us, a lot of investment to make, and um, you know we have to look at those trade-offs. And I think with Greenstone coming up, finishing off Santa Luz, still investing in a couple of other assets, that's where our capital is best allocated and spent today. Um, as we start to get more visibility come through that, announce those projects, start to deliver on them, um, we certainly, if the share price isn't moving, we certainly want to be looking at you know, something like share buybacks along the way. But I think for as of today, we want to commit that capital to, uh, to investing in our assets. And I think it's fair to say that uh, longer term, we absolutely want to be returning capital to shareholders. That's the whole plan of investing now for, for future growth and then returning that, the, making those returns for shareholders. Thank you. Operator, we'll take the remaining questions from the phone, please. Certainly. The next question over the phone is from Anita Sony from CIBC World Markets. Please go ahead. Hi. Um, first question is with regards to Los Feliz and the uh, $83 million that you have in non-sustaining capital there this year. Could you just give me an idea of what that's uh, being spent on this year then? I mean, I'll give a very high level, and if uh, either Doug or Pete has a little granularity that can add to it, but I mean, the key areas obviously are opening up um, Burma Hall and Guadalupe. Uh, there's lots of stripping that was particularly the first half of the year at Guadalupe and Burma Hall, so that kind of continues on for this year. And as those are brand new ore bodies adding to the mine life, those are, call it, growth projects for us. Um, those are two key areas. Yeah. Okay, so. Um that number was that was that reduced from a prior number or was that the same number that you had before no it's slightly reduced yeah we, we reduced it by 12 million from before okay all right um and then uh, next question i guess is uh with regards just more of a big picture 
So I, I noticed on the sidebar on on slide 2016, you've got or sorry on slide 16 that you've got um, 800,000 ounces as the the um, kind of uh, what you're gearing towards for 2022 in terms of production. I think that's taking into taking into account the impact at Los Filos. Um, is there? Can you just give us an idea if any proportion of that is um, maybe assuming a slower startup at, at C1 Santa Luz, or is it still kind of the 100,000 plus for next year? Well, for next year, I mean, whether to achieve 100,000 or not, you know, depends on the date we actually pour gold and get to that commercial production, but it, it probably will not be far off that. Um, we expect to pour gold in the first quarter, so if we have a really quick ramp up of like Arizona of four to six weeks, then, you know, you'll be probably pushing towards 100,000 if uh, it's a little bit slower to probably a bit, a bit lighter. But you'll have the addition, obviously, to get the 800,000 of Santa Luz. You have Mesquite has, uh, you know, it's hitting that brownie stride in Q4 where it's actually stacking a lot of ore in Q3 and 4 this year, and that falls right through to next year. So you see a, a sort of nice improvement there. Arizona, you know, is producing at a nice steady level. Um, we've got a full year from Castle as well, and obviously Los Filos hopefully will be an uninterrupted year next year. Okay, and then the last question I, I just wanted to ask, um, you know, given one of your uh, competitors or colleagues, I guess, in the in the business at Cote is uh, struggling with capital um, cost inflation uh, in their new project build. Have you um, taken or will you take a look at the feasibility study for Hard Rock um, to reassess as you uh, as you start that capital spend into the second half of the year? Yeah, absolutely. I mean. Um... One of the key jobs, I think, for us as we've taken over, we've hired a head of projects here in Vancouver, and, and her first job was to actually look at that. Also working very closely with Orion and the project team just to make sure when we come out with a capital number, we're standing behind it, we're comfortable. Looking at all COVID impacts, you know, cost escalations, which obviously there is some out there, and, and challenges that other operators and, and builders have had. And, uh, you know, foreign exchange is another piece that's, separate to the actual project, but it's something that we need to manage as well, which um, I think we can do from a corporate perspective. So absolutely, um, when we come out with our, our initial capital number, we'll factor in any of those points, and hopefully you'll see that in the next few months. Okay, and then just in terms of the original capital spender, I think I think maybe you guys had indicated that you were trying to, you know, sort of push that in the next 24, 30 months. Could phasing that CapEx spend um, be be an option, or would you still want to accelerate the capital? Sorry, we're just talking about Greenstone specifically here. Yeah, we're starting, but we're talking about Hard Rock. Yeah. 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 Um, so yes, or sorry, no, we're not planning to phase it. Sorry, I don't want to give you any indication. No, we think the best way to do it, and and our methodology and thinking here, and and I know Ross stands behind this as well. Build the mine right. Don't try and build it in phases or cut corners to push capital into the operating period. Uh, we've seen that happen way too many times. Let's make sure it's well-financed, well-understood, and, and let's deliver the project that will actually be the best operating project on day one. Um, so, no, we don't have any intention to, do, to phase it. All right. That's it for my question. Thank you for taking them. Yeah, thanks, Anita. The next question is from John Tumasas from John Tumasas Very Independent Research. Please go ahead. John, your line is open. Okay, we'll go to the next question. Uh, next question is from Wayne Lamb from RBC. Please go ahead. Hey, morning, everyone. Um, I was just wondering, uh, in Mexico, there seems to be a lot more scrutiny recently around subcontracting and uh, uh, PTU payments. And just wondering kind of to what extent uh, do you guys subcontract at Los Feliz and if you might be able to provide kind of a ballpark amount um, that's paid out annually in terms of the PTU profit sharing payments uh, at the mine? Yeah, I mean, there there is some ch there are some changes coming to the laws and how that outsourcing and contracting is coming. I mean, it's still in the, call it the investigation and review phase. Um, I, I don't know that number off the top of my head. I have to admit, Wayne, um, so I can't give you, I'm not gonna even ballpark it for you there. Um, but the team at site is well versed in this. They're experienced operators in Mexico and uh, 
will adapt the mine as necessary with the contractors to make it work. And it may be a slight shifting into a profit sharing into the entity and bringing employees, call it in-house a bit more. Um, you know, could we expect it to have much impact? I don't think it's going to have a massive impact. It may shift how our costs, it shouldn't, from an outward perspective, have much impact or you shouldn't see it. Uh, but it may shift on where the call it the profit sharing or bonus or whatever is paid out and allocated. Okay, perfect, thanks. And then um, just curious, um, kind of thinking about that path to a million ounces. Obviously, the expansion at Los Feliz was a big part of that. Um, you know, given some of the interruptions that have uh, happened over the past year, um, and and uh, you guys had talked to you know wanted to see more stability. And how should we think about the timing of that expansion? And are you guys still comfortable moving ahead with that, you know, over the near term uh, and, and uh, proceeding with the CIL plan? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's still a key part of our investment in the future for that mine. I mean, it's a, it's a great mine and great uh, deposit there. And what we want to do, and maybe we just proceed a little more cautiously here, but we want to rebuild the stability um, indicate to them that until we have that clear stability, you know, we won't invest in that CAL yet, but it'll be on the radar. So maybe we don't launch into it quite as quickly here in the second half of the year. We still need to get the study out as well, and then we can use that to articulate what the plans are to the, call it the communities and local stakeholders. Um, we will continue, obviously, investing in Guadalupe and Bermajal Underground. Um, those are obviously well underway, and, and Guadalupe is most of the way there. Um, but we may just take a little bit more cautious approach to the CIL. And, and the good thing here, I guess, is that we don't need the CIL to operate. It's, it's more efficient, obviously, with certain parts of the deposit uh, to run it through the CIL plant. But ounces are not lost. Uh, they may be just deferred if we put some of that material on the leach pad and uh, ultimately reprocess some of it later. Okay, great. And then um, maybe just on the cost inflation that was flagged, um, would you be be able to provide a bit more detail uh, in terms of percentage terms and what you're seeing, you know, on labor and, and cyanide reagents, uh, you know, within um, the U.S. and Brazil? Yeah, it's, it's Peter here. We're not seeing as much on labor uh, to date. Uh, it's definitely more on the energy. Um, so in Brazil, electricity and diesel, and then and, and also on consumables. So with, on an overall basis, you call it about 5%, and we're seeing it similar in, in the U.S., say 5% of the overall cost structure in each jurisdiction. And in the U.S., it's more on, on fuel and, um, and, and, and reagents as well. And I suppose you could add grinding media to, to the issue in Brazil. I mean, you hate to use the term, but, uh, you know, I think the whole world is probably on a wait and see on, on are these going to be structural increases or, or is this just a, a COVID recovery supply chain uh, issue uh, that's going to come down over time? And we're in the same position. Okay, got it. And kind of on that similar line, um, you know, maybe in terms of budgeting um, at Santa Luz, um, you know, nice to see that it's, you know, tracking well on budget, but how are you guys kind of thinking about costs as we head into the ramp up here? We're on, uh, for Central Luce Construction, we're on budget and we've spent a lot of time uh, going through everything in regards to uh, first bills and, and, and uh, uh, the remainder of the construction, all the equipment, um, over 90% of, well, I think we're 95% of, of uh, uh, materials for the construction is already on site. So uh, uh, we're well advanced on, on Santa Luz, and I think we're good. In terms of operations, obviously, we've got, you know, Fazenda and Arizona and others around, as call it benchmarks, and um, we're actually even, call it, using some of the similar people um, that we're operating some of our other mines. So we've got a good basis we also using the same mining contractor and uh, you know we now have the, the volume benefit we have three mines on the same contractor and so I believe Santa Luz may be our most favorable contract out of the three so hopefully that helps offset any kind of call it cost pressures and, and as Doug said I think I think the other the guys are saying the other day there may be only three pieces of equipment that still are to arrive 
on site in their peripheral. They're none of the, the big mills or any of the core pieces of equipment. So, um, you know, fortunately, any of those logistics challenges are probably behind us generally at uh, Santa Luz. And as a multi-mine producer, we of course look at the opportunities where we can for being um, able to do purchasing beyond just individual sites. So that effort is ongoing in the background because we know that's an important thing to be doing uh, at this time and it reaps benefits if, if there's continued escalation, but long-term obviously benefits us no matter what if we can do uh, group purchasing and bring overall costs down. So that's going on as well. And another thing that we're looking at, and this is a look forward quite a ways is um, you know there's there's opportunities to look to independent green power in Brazil but also leather locations and I'm uh, not going to promise anything today but uh, there's some major mining and other companies that are already involved in um, taking power from these facilities and having production facilities built that are proving fantastic from a cost perspective but also from an ESG perspective because they're using renewable sources of energy so kind of win-win in that sense and we're very serious about looking at those kind of opportunities, partly because it's, it's smart business in terms of cost, but it's also great from an ESG perspective. And uh, you know, as we get our baselines for all of our emissions and things, it becomes more in focus for us. Okay, perfect. That's all from me. Thank you. Thanks, Wayne. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. That's the end of our questions. If you do think of anything, please do not hesitate to get in touch. I will turn it back over to Christian for closing remarks. Thanks, Lynn, and uh, I think that's a pretty comprehensive run through. And uh, as I said earlier on, we're really looking forward to the second half of this year. You know, it's been a little bit more of a challenge in the first half. We knew it would be. It was well telegraphed, and uh, the second half should be pretty exciting. So uh, stay tuned for Q3 and 4. Thank you very much. Operator, you can now disconnect the line. Thank you. This concludes today's conference call. You may all disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating, and have a pleasant day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.